From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and we're really excited for our guest today. This is episode 20. Before we get to it, though, I want to connect you with our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients designed to support your body's nutritional needs across five critical areas of health, energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal support, and healthy aging. Um, professionally, in spite of the fact that I'm a supplement minimalist, this is a product that I recommend to just about all of our clients as I view it a lot more like whole food nutritional insurance. Um, its ingredients have been carefully selected. Um, you get essential vitamins and minerals, digestive enzymes, um, you get prebiotics, probiotics, um, and you won't find any harmful chemicals, artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, sweeteners, or any kind of added sugars. Um, works really well for folks who are gluten and dairy free. Um, and I love it personally for younger athletes who may have holes in their diets. Um, and college and pro athletes who may have complex travel schedules where they can't always get quality food while they're on the road. Um, on a personal level, I use this every single day of the week. Um, I have uh, three kids under the age of five. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an avid lifter. I split my, my time between two parts of the country. So needless to say, life's stressful and sleep deprivation is a real thing. So with that in mind, I, I lean really heavily on Athletic Greens for my immune support and really believe it's made a big difference in keeping me healthy in spite of this crazy lifestyle. So get your vital nutrition in 30 seconds or less at athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, where you can claim your special gift of 23 travel brackets. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-G-R-E-E-N-S.com backslash C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. And you can claim your special gift to get 20 free travel packets. Today's guest is a starting pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. He grew up in North Carolina and attended the University of Georgia after having Tommy John after his senior year of high school. He went on to become a second round pick in 2012 by the Atlanta Braves and quickly ascended through the minor leagues, making his major league debut in 2013. Thereafter, he was traded to the Dodgers and competed on teams that went to the World Series in both 2017 and 2018. 2017 was a breakout season for him when he went 16-3 and with a 2.72 ERA and was named to the National League All-Star team. This past offseason, he was traded to the Cincinnati Reds. Over the course of his career, he's pitched as both a starter and a reliever, so he brings a unique perspective to the podcast. We're excited to welcome Alex Wood. All right, welcome to the show, Alex. Hey, what's going on, man? All right, this is going to be a lot of fun. So get, we're going to start off. Um, you're a North Carolina guy, born and raised. Um, it's kind of a mid-Atlantic region. It's somewhere between you know what we deal with our Northeast pitchers in terms of not having a lot of workload versus what you see with kids in Florida and Georgia. Um, you know, were you a baseball-only guy? Were you a multi-sport guy? What, what was your approach to development you know, from you know, the young ages all the way up through high school? Yeah, so I mean, I played all kinds of sports uh, pretty much all the way up until uh, I was probably 13. Uh, then, uh, I mean, I played tennis, soccer, golf, basketball, football, baseball. I, I, I pretty much played everything uh, you could play as a, as a kid. Uh, and then as I got done with Little League after your 12-year-old, your last season of Little League, 
uh, and you start to realize like, Hey, I, I like this baseball thing a lot. And you start playing year round, uh, essentially, uh, when, once you get to th- age 13 and, and on, uh, I pretty much only played baseball, uh, comp- uh, comp- at a high level. Uh, you know, I would still play pickup basketball and, uh, still play a little bit, a little bit of tennis and a lot of golf. Uh, but from a, uh, organization standpoint, baseball was pretty much uh, it for me at, from age 13 on uh, in through high school. But I love the point about like still making sure you're doing other stuff. It's not just like baseball all the time. You had like, you know, pick up hoops on the side and you were able to get out and do some different stuff to give yourself that variety that you'd otherwise miss. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and plus it's fun playing pick up basketball and yeah. going golfing with your friends and doing all that stuff too. So uh, you, you never at the time, obviously never thought about the impact it could, it could make on your future, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, de- definitely, definitely fun stuff that I, I still like to do. Were you, were you a two-way guy in high school or was it pitcher only at that point? So it depends on the year that you ask. <laughs> so, uh, my freshman, my freshman year of high school, I was a pitcher only. Sophomore year, uh, I pitched and hit some. Uh, my junior year, I actually had a, a I guess it will, w- looking back, would be a precursor to when I had Tommy John my senior year of high school. Uh, I had a stress reaction in my UCL my junior year, so I, I was hitting and playing some first base and DHing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then once that happened uh, early in my junior year, I, all I did was pitch when I was healthy. Uh, and then my then my senior year, I raked and and pitched uh, <laughs> pitched as well. I love it. So um, you know, when you were a guy that was coming up and you you started to kind of focus on the baseball specialization side of things, were you a guy that was? Did you just throw you around? Did you find gaps in the schedule where you would actually take time off, or you know, do you think that was some of the stuff that that led to the Tommy John at a young age as well? Yeah. So uh, for me, I was lucky to be around uh, some pretty smart people. I had two really. I went yeah. to two different high schools. Had two really good high school coaches. Uh, uh, travel ball coaches and some different organizations that had an idea of what they were doing. So I guess it depends on what you consider throwing you around. I mean, we had uh, pretty like normal breaks to where, you know, you play it, you start in G- December throwing and then work your way in January in high school, uh, playing scrimmages and practicing and then into your high school season. And then I'd play summer ball. And then you would probably have, I, w- I would say we'd take a couple weeks uh, after the summer ball schedule ended when, when school started and then you have probably a month or so where you maybe would practice a couple times a week or do whatever, and then get ready for, uh, play, play fall travel ball. And then that would usually end. I think the, the big ender, at least when I was coming up was like going to Jupiter and the WWBA in the, in the fall and stuff. And then once that was done, uh, I no longer, I wouldn't throw for probably, I would say a month. It's kind of like, yep. I, I felt like I was kind of on a college schedule almost when I was in high school. Um, I do, I, do I think that contributed to my arm? Hard to say. I, 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 I'm going to say no, uh, because, you know, they, I was doing shoulder care stuff. You know, we were, I mean, from the moment I set foot on high, in my high school, my freshman year, we, we had a pretty solid program laid out from a, strengthening standpoint i mean it, it was basically like going to college uh for me mm-hmm. uh from a baseball standpoint so it's hard to point the finger one way or the other yeah. uh you know and, and i had a I actually my injury history uh fortunately was long when i was in high school and then now uh you know i haven't had a whole lot of stuff knock on wood since i started my pro career uh and so that limited me in some capacities uh in high school to where i sometimes i wouldn't pitch in the summer because of an injury uh, whether yeah. I, I broke my thumb one one year, uh, slipping during conditioning, and just little things that pop up like popped up like that for me. 
yeah. uh, when, I, when I was in high school. But no, I, I wouldn't say that doing what I did caused me to have Tommy John. Yeah. It's always, it's always hard. There's so multifactorial and, you know, hindsight's obviously always 2022. So, um, you know, you, you obviously wound up at the university of Georgia, you know, tell me a little bit, about, obviously the, the delivery is unique, right? And yeah. you know, the delivery is, it's very herky jerky. Um, you know, but you've obviously made it work for you and we'll, we'll talk about obviously the success you've had, but was it always like that? Were you a funky delivery, like back to little league or was it something that just kind of, you know, got to that point over the course of time? Yeah, I mean, I've always been funky since I was since I started pitching when I was little. Uh, you know, yeah. as you grow and get stronger and bigger, I mean, obviously things change in, in some ways, but I've always kind of been thrown differently than, than other guys. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was fortunate enough to where I was always pretty good growing up, like in high school and playing travel ball and, and all that stuff, and so nobody really tried to tried to make any changes uh, in my in my delivery really uh, mm-hmm. when I was coming up, and so. Uh, Looking back on it, you know, once you go to college and you, all these scouts are coming to talk to you and they ask you about your delivery and all that stuff, and you have to figure out how to answer, like why you throw this way and whatnot. And the, the best comparison I, I would make, and I think it, it's kind of funny because I felt like my answer was a little bit before uh, almost my time because now nobody really, to an extent, nobody really cares how you throw as long as you're getting into these positions that. Mm-hmm. you're supposed to get into at certain times in your delivery. So the way I would describe it when I was coming out in the draft was, yeah, I throw, I throw a little bit differently, but you look at these hitters that do, all, I mean, every hitter is so different. They do all these crazy things. I mean, you look at all the different things Cal Rifkin did when he was playing like the violin and all these different things. But the common thing you notice with all the players that are good, whether it's a hitter or a pitcher is if they're good and they're consistent, you know, they're usually getting into pretty good positions when they're at this right time you know what I mean and so that's how that's how I kind of would describe it to people and so now the further I've gone along you know the more baseballs you throw over the course of your life you know you just your body starts to make changes and you get used to things and you start doing things that you don't realize you're doing so you have to go and fix them so you have to become more aware mechanically uh, from that standpoint Uh, and it's been fun learning uh, a lot about biomechanics and and things uh, things of that nature. Absolutely. And, and as you kind of go through that, that, I think it's awesome because, you know, it looks like a more heightened maintenance delivery, but at the end of the day, like you have checkpoints that, you know, you need to see when you go and you watch footage and you're, you're one of the more in tune with your mechanics guys that I've ever I've met and worked with. So what are those checkpoints for you? Like when you're going good, like, are there things there that you feel, are they things that you need to see on video? What is it that you're watching for? Yeah. I mean, I mean, first, first is, I think further, the further you go in your career and the older you get, I think you don't really have a choice but to start to kind of learn yourself because at the end of the day, like you're your best coach, like you know yourself better than than anybody. And so I think the challenge for that, that I've that I've had as I've started to get further into my career uh, is because I throw differently. You know, I feel like I have to kind of stay on, try and stay on top of it a little bit more. You know, yep. sometimes I I, I could get you into trouble uh, in the path my glove my glove side's taking in the, in the front foot strike. And so for me right now, just trying to kind of smooth out my, my upper half and, and tie it all together uh, to my lower half. And so you're shifting into your front foot contact the way you're supposed to. And, and so it's hard to say really one specific thing that I look, that I look for uh, as yeah. a checkpoint for me, but that's definitely uh, a, a, I'm finding to be a big one for me. Uh, it's something that I'm kind of working on right now, you know, while I'm coming back uh, fr- from my back injury. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think just, 
the overall knowledge that you can gain. Uh, you know, obviously watch, watch having an archive of when you feel like you're at your best and being able to kind of go back and see some of the things and some of the movements uh, of your lower half, your upper half, uh, and what you're doing well when you've been at your best and being able to reference that and compare it to where you're at right now. So then you can tweak little things in your delivery and hopefully it can give you a chance to be consistent and have long-term success. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you had Tommy John at a young age. Was, was that kind of a blessing in disguise having that, you know, your senior in high school where, you know, A, you've got a structurally sound elbow, but at the same time, you, you, did you learn a lot about yourself kind of as you went through that rehab process into your time at the University of Georgia? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, being an 18 year old kid and finding out you have to have a Tommy John, uh, you're kind of naive to some extent. Cause you don't, I mean, you don't think like, Oh, this is a serious, like, you know, it's a serious injury, but you don't think like, Oh, like, I'm this could have in my baseball career, you know, which, you know, people have that misconception, you know, like there's a very high success rate with Tommy John surgeries, but guys don't always come back the way that they're, they were before or, or better. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. I was really fortunate. I think uh, if you're going to have it, uh, to have it when I did, uh, you know, Georgia still honored my scholarship and I uh, got to leave in early August to go to the University of Georgia. And I was essentially re- having a, uh, my own rehab uh, program uh, and people I was working with pretty much six to seven days a week. And so I think that was a, ble- a blessing because even now in pro ball, uh, getting individual time from a, a serious surgery like that is, is tough. You know, we had a good plan. I had a, I had a great, great trainer, Mike Dillon. Uh, I owe him a lot. And, you know, when I was coming back uh, from Tommy John, I started my throwing program. Uh, one of the biggest things, they, they shortened my arm action a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I actually, when I made my way back, I was throwing harder than I, I, I had ever thrown. You know, I was probably up to like 91, probably 91 in high school, like 88 to 91 in that range. And, I, I still remember my first outing back. I was like 92 to 94, 91 to 94. Uh, felt terrible, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but I was th- throwing pretty hard. And then uh, that was probably the first time where you really started to think about the movements and the things you're doing mechanically and what's working for you and uh, just your shoulder, all the shoulder care stuff you're doing that you can kind of keep with you uh, moving forward to, to try and keep everything strong and healthy. And uh, th- that, that was definitely a, a big moment in my life for sure. Absolutely. You know, and, and you were, uh, uh, Tommy John, you, you had after your senior year. So it was between the time you finished senior year and when you headed off to Georgia, correct? Correct. So with stuff like that, so you obviously missed your first year of Georgia. Did you come back and pitch in summer ball that year or did you just wait? So long story short, I actually came, I pitched, I pitched in a game for Georgia at 10 months. I, I came back, wow. I came back, wow. which was yeah. really fast, really, really fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. long story short, I only pitched one game. There was, there was a lot of, uh, I wasn't technically wasn't supposed to play, but we didn't know that, uh, by this, this retro rule that we had to where I got okay. to keep, I got to keep my, I had a pretty significant scholarship. I got to keep that. But the, I guess the fine print of it was that I wasn't, I wasn't spo- supposed to pitch and we didn't really know that. So I pitched against Georgia tech and we went to Arkansas that following weekend and we, we landed and the NCAA reached out and said, Hey, he shouldn't pitch anymore. He's not supposed to pitch this year. So they, <laughs> they tried to, they tried to take away my red shirt actually because of it. Wow. Okay. And there was a big but deal. You, but you were, that's incredible that you were ready at 10 months, huh? Yeah. And so I did. I, so to answer your question, I did come back that summer. I went and played summer ball up in the NECBL uh, in Keene, yep. New Hampshire. That was quite the adventure. There you go. And, yeah. uh, I, I did pitch that summer on a seven day ro- We were on like a six or seven day rotation. Uh, yeah. 
it was it was a battle for sure, man. I mean, I, yeah. I, early on I felt pretty good, and then as we moved on, my my arms started barking pretty good, uh, and it, it was a struggle to finish the summer. But we made it through, and then had had that break, and then after I took that month off of throwing, when I got done with with summer ball, uh, and made it back to start throwing in fall ball, you know, I felt awesome, and was probably uh, as good as I'd been up until that point. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. We always have kids that ask about what the norm is, and you know, you see the norms of when guys are back in big league games. But you know, the the average high school kid can't compare himself to what you know Steven Strasburg or Lance Lynn or one of these guys gets when they have it when they're already in the big leagues. It's a different level of care, and you know, there's obviously contract situations and all that. So you you can only compare yourself to you. And like ten months is obviously very very early, and you know, you, you also had a situation where, you know, it wasn't ready to necessarily be really highly sustainable. Um, so that's where you're dragging down the summer. So the lesson is only compared to you to you. Um, so fast forwarding. So, uh, your second round pick out of the university of Georgia, the Braves took you in 2012. And what's interesting and, and actually really impressive is you, you skipped effectively skipped a big chunk of the minor leagues. You, you went right to low A after the draft, you pitched well, you skipped high, a, high a and started the next year in double A. Um, you know, threw well there and made only one start in double A and then you were in the big leagues at 2013. So it's a, it's a quick path. What made you a big leaguer so quickly? Why did you stand out, you know, so much in that regard? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, some of my buddy, Kyle Farmer is with me with the Reds. He always, he always talks crap to me because he, <laughs> sa- he says I never had to experience the grind, uh, the minor leagues, but <laughs> I, I was definitely, uh, I got put in a situation, uh, that was very beneficial to me. You know, I got drafted out of Georgia my junior year in the second round. Uh, I knew that they had taken some college pitchers the previous years before me. They took Sean Gilmartin, uh, I believe, the year before. And then they took Mike Miner maybe two or three years before that. And I, mm-hmm. it had been expressed to me that the path that both of them had taken was, you know, you sign. I wanted to sign quick. I wanted to go and show what I could do uh, in, in A-ball, uh, you know, the first year I got drafted. And – then I knew that both Sean and Mike had uh, were fortunate enough to be able to skip low A and go straight to double A. And then once I knew once you get to double A, you know, you're a call away basically. And so for me, I just had one thing on my mind, you know, it was all I was, all I ever thought about was getting to the big leagues. Like I, I wasn't worried. To, uh, I don't want to sound weird. I wasn't worried about making friends. You know, I, I wasn't planning on being in low A high double A for any longer than they made me stay there. And so uh, I went into big league camp, uh, my very first spring training, I got to go to big league camp and I probably ended up staying there longer, uh, than they were expecting me to, cause I threw pretty well, uh, in spring training. So I stayed there to the very last week and fingers crossed for myself, hoping that they would send me to double a, they ended up sending me straight to double a my, my first full year. Uh, and I just put my nose down and all I ever thought about was just throwing as well as I could possibly throw and getting the big leagues as fast as I could. And, Fortunately, uh, it ended up working out uh, that way for me to where I spent a month and a half in double A. I threw really well and got the call up, and then uh, it was history from there. What, what were the biggest – you know, you go to the big leagues quickly, right? So you're, you're effectively there at 22, maybe even 23. What are, what are the biggest things you learn quickly, right? The big leagues is not easy. Um, they're there for a reason. What were the lessons that you kind of um, took on right away? Oh, man, I feel, I feel like there's so, so many. So I, I was fortunate enough that – in 2013, we won the division when I was in, in Atlanta. I was up for most most of the year. I was really, really lucky to be around guys like Brian McCann. Uh, Gerald Laird was one of our catchers. You know, we had some good older guys that had been around and and, and were very, very good for a, for a long time up to that point. So 
uh, I still, one of the conversations I had with Brian McCann, as soon as I got called up, uh, was, you know, you don't want to step a uh, young guy. You don't want to step on guys toes. You don't want to disagree or, uh, do any of those things. And so I remember after my first outing, Brian McCann comes over to me and sits in my locker and he tells me, uh, he's at, he's talking about what I, what I like to do, yada, yada, yada. And I tell him like, Hey, like, you know what you're doing. Like, I don't want to step on your toes. And he looked me straight in the eye and tells me, listen, man, I've never caught you until tonight. He goes, you know yourself better than I'm ever going to know you. He goes, and it's your career. He goes, you throw, you throw what you want to throw. And after that, you know, that, that just trying to be yourself, like using what you have had that's gotten you to that point, but then also still being an open book and wanting to learn. Uh, and, and so Mike Miner took me under his wing uh, when I started starting that year and he showed me the ropes of how to kind of evaluate other the teams you're facing, the hitters, getting a, a game plan uh, to have the kind of the answers to the test, so to speak, before you're going to into each outing or each start. Uh, and, and that was probably the biggest thing for me was how to prepare uh, from the, the kind of the chess match, the mental side of things. And, and to this day, it's probably one of my it's one of my favorite things to talk about, favorite things to do, because. Uh, you know, that's what kind of what sets guys apart. You know, the guys that prepare are the best usually last the longest. And those are the guys that learn how to pitch uh, and learn how to sustain and have long careers. Absolutely. So here, here's an interesting question. So obviously you were, you were traded um, shortly thereafter. Um, and, and 2017 was a was a big time breakout year for you. And I guess that the question I have for you is, you know, that also coincided with your first, you know, full season, actually, excuse me, second full season in, uh, in um, Los Angeles, you were 16 and three, 2.72 ERA and your, and your strikeouts jumped a lot. Was, was that something that you felt like, was that the maturation process, just getting older, getting more comfortable facing big league hitters? Or was it something that you were consciously doing different? Was it a change of scenery going LA to LA from Atlanta? What, what made you so good in 2017 that year? Uh, you know, I think I, it was the best mechanically I'd probably ever felt. It was the best that my stuff had been. So that helped a lot. But I mm -hmm. probably one of the biggest like kind of moments and uh, realizations I've ever had in my career uh, was in, I got hurt in 16 swinging a baseball bat of all, of all things. But before that, mm -hmm. uh, I was I got off to a pretty good start. And I was striking out a lot of guys. But uh, Andrew Friedman, our president, when I was with the Dodgers, uh, you know, they're kind of at the forefront, forefront of the analytics, kind of uh, the game planning, all, all that, all the stuff you could think of. And we kind of had a sit down and he, sh he had, had a couple sheets printed off uh, about how I was attacking hitters and whatnot. And he showed me, he basically said, hey, listen, you're, our, you're elite at getting to two strikes. You're, you're one of the best pitchers in baseball at getting hitters to two strikes. But up until now, you're, you're at the bottom tier of putting guys away and, and he said mm -hmm. i think that we should try and change your thought process to when you get to two strikes because i can command it pretty well to thinking about trying to put guys away no matter what the count is when you get two strikes on them mm -hmm. and so changing my mindset from kind of like you know trying to throw a fastball like up and away or off the plate or playing with guys uh kind of changing your thought process to hey if i get two strikes i'm thinking one thing and it's to try and punch this guy out and throwing competitive pitches to try and punch guys out. And that kind of changed my whole thought process and how I went about preparing and uh, pitching two guys uh, uh, every fifth day. And I think that was a, a, a big realization in my career. Absolutely. And, you know, in 2015, 189 innings and 139 strikeouts, uh, you know, and then you look at 2017, 
151 strikeouts and 152 innings. So you went from, you know, basically being well below it to being an actual, like, a, a K per inning. So, um, you know, was that the kind of thing – did you have to change the kind of pitcher you were, right? Did you pitch to contact less in, in order to go deeper into games? Or was it just one of those things where you're like, all right, if I need to go five innings and punch out ten, I'll do it um, just because that's when I'm at my best? You know, did you have to emotionally kind of separate yourself from what was, I guess, perceived as a quality start in that regard? You know, I've never been somebody that's really thought too much about either pitching to contact or trying to punch guys out and not worrying about my pitch count. You know, I just uh, like that that change in my mindset that I had. You know, I was still trying to be around the zone and be competitive. Uh, but once you kind of get a feel for your one or two or some guys have three secondary pitches or whatever it may be uh, and learning kind of where to put them when you when you want to, to, to kind of put a guy away, you know, I thought that was a big, big thing for me, but in terms of like thinking about pitching to contact, I know a lot of guys say that stuff, but you know, usually the guys that talk about like being able to pitch to contact or being able to punch 10 Ks per nine, usually their stuff is really damn good, you know? So yeah. they can just say the, say those things. There's not many guys to me that can go on the mound and say, Hey, I'm going to pitch to contact today and try and go deep in this game. Usually if your stuff is good and you're on, like you're going to probably throw deeper into the game. You know what I mean? And so that, that's kind of how I've yeah. always thought, thought about it. Absolutely. And so, you know, you, you mentioned stuff like you don't be so hard on yourself. You've got a, a very, very good curveball, right? So, you know, in 2018, you threw it over 30% of the time, you know, that was uh, maybe a little bit higher than the previous couple of years. Um, so, so I'm curious was, was, was it natural for you to learn how to, how to spin the baseball? Like, is that something that you've had since you were 13, 14, or was it something that, you know, you went through a lot to try to learn? No. So, I mean, I, I pretty much, uh, I pretty much got drafted and then made it to the big leagues with just a fastball changeup. My breaking ball was really, really bad. Uh, always, uh, just kind of the, I guess kind of the way I throw, uh, it was harder for me to get in front of the baseball and, and spin it. So I've mm -hmm. never really naturally been able to spin it, uh, ever. Mm -hmm. And so, after my first year in the big leagues, you know, uh, I had talked to Roger McDowell, our pitching coach and stuff. And that was kind of what I thought uh, would kind of propel me forward into being like a legitimate big league starter every year was to kind of be able to have a breaking ball that I could, you know, dump in there early for strikes and have something that I could have as a put away. And so my, uh, my first and second big league spring training, uh, we had an unbelievable bullpen. Like we had Craig Kimbrough, you have Johnny Venters guys that have some of the nastiest breaking stuff at, uh, at that time in the big leagues. So I was just trying to pick their brains about how they, their grips and how they throw their breaking balls. And the, the common theme and factor that I found was they all threw spiked curveballs or knuckle curve or whatever you want to call it. And so I started playing around with different grips uh, with that, with that spike breaking ball. And, uh, immediately it was, it was pretty good, but I didn't really have a lot of command over it. Uh, and so actually the following year after I'd been throwing it for probably half a season or a little bit more than that, uh, in 2015, I believe, or 14, I believe it was, uh, we were actually in LA early in, early in the year. And I was just in the dugout kind of playing with different grips on the baseball with that spike and, kind of found one that I thought felt really good. So the next day I was starting and I went in the bullpen and never played catch with it or threw it at all and just threw it in my pen. It was really good. And I went out and dominated and I've been throwing the same one pretty much ever since. That's awesome. So it really happened much, much later in your career. You weren't a, a big time high school prospect with a, with an elite breaking ball. You had to find it over the course of time. Yes. I, I never, I, I can literally never spin it. Uh, I mean, if you look, even look back to like in 2000, 
13 when I first started throwing the spike in, in that season, uh, you know, it, it was like, okay. But it was more of like a, I didn't have command of it. It was more of a two strike pitch. Hope they swing at it mm-hmm. kind of. And then as I per- kept at it and found a grip with that spike that I really liked, it really started to evolve into a really good pitch for me. Um, so here's a question for you is, you know, especially knowing that you had to put a lot of work in to learn that. So we've had like Adam Ottavino um, on the show before. And Adam's obviously a guy who, who spins it at a really high level. And he, he's always had that since he was little. And one of the things he's talked about is like, he actually doesn't throw it nearly as much in catch play just because he, um, he feels like it kind of gets him into trouble. Whereas, you know, you talk to like a, a Kluber, Kluber will, you know, he'll play catch with it, but he won't try to make it too big. He'll just try to feel the spin. What, when you're having your catch play, like between outings, are you a guy that tries to actually throw it in flat ground or do you need to be off the mound to really feel like it's working? You know, I prefer to be off the mound when I'm really trying to throw most of my stuff. You know, uh, I like to throw flat grounds uh, probably once or twice in between sides just to get that feel. And I'll spin a few and throw a few change-ups. Uh, but, but I would say I'm probably the same way uh, in terms of – because it's totally different being off a slope and being on flat ground. You know what I mean? The release point, uh, you know, how you're, how you're throwing mechanically. You know, it's just different being off a slope. Uh, and, yeah. and so – I always felt like, you know, if you feel good with your fastball when you're playing catch, uh, you know, you feel like it's coming out of your hand good, you know, you, you feel solid there. You know, usually, for me at least, my my other pitches work off my fastball. And if, if I feel good mechanically, like the ball's coming out of my hand my, with my heater, then usually everything else will kind of fall into place. Absolutely. So you kind of hinted at it, but how are you structuring your in-season throwing program? So if you make a start on day zero – you got four days before your next start. What's what's that four day setup look like for you? Uh, from a throwing standpoint, so probably yeah. really the last two years, I have you know you'll have your start day one. I don't throw at all. I don't pick up a baseball. Uh, day two, I'll I'll long toss. You know, I think these days long toss means different things for guys. I usually get back like one twenty to one fifty, probably in that range on day mm-hmm. two. Day three, I'll play catch to get loose, probably back to ninety to one ten, and then I'll throw my pin on day three. And then mm-hmm. day four is a light catch for me, and then start day five. Exactly. So, um, what about the off season? When do you like to start throwing? Um, you know, are you are you a guy that likes to take time off? Do you like to, uh, you know, keep it going? What, what's your approach? So, I pretty much have always been to where I've been really fortunate to be on some good teams. So we were we're always playing yeah. it into October. You know, I, I've I played into October every year except for one. Uh, and so usually, you know, you finish in mid-October, late October, the last two years for me. And so I'll, I'll take off probably, I guess, seven weeks, seven or so weeks uh, and get in, get myself into December, mid-December to Christmas uh, in that area. And I'll start playing catch then. Uh, it, it's very it's really intrigued me the last two years because you see more and more guys that are starting to throw earlier and earlier. I'm uh, picking up baseballs uh, after not taking more than like three or four weeks off. And it's something that's intrigued me, but I feel like it's a, that's a hard jump to make if you've never done it. Uh, it's something that I've, I've considered uh, that I might consider this next off season. Uh, but, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing to remember too, is that just cause you're off from throwing doesn't mean you're off hundred percent. I mean, uh, you were on, you were on a flight the day after the World Series this past year to, to come get started on your off season. So you know that in of itself, you know you're doing something. It just doesn't mean you're throwing. But yeah, um, yeah, playing the World Series that that extra month kind of makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes a huge difference, man. You know, I, I honestly, uh, it, it's been a blessing because I've got, I've gotten to 
do a lot of cool things with with a lot of the teams I've been on, you know, in terms of going deep in the postseason, and uh, that's what that's really what you play for, you know. And so I I don't really know what it's like to finish October first uh, and have that whole extra month, you know. I think that if that was uh, the case for me, you know, things could obviously change to where you might not take as much time off uh, as you as you do uh, when you play deeper into October. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we talked about your, your in-season throwing program on a five-day rotation. What about the day of a game? So let's say you got a seven o'clock start. What's your, what's your kind of setup look like your routine over the course of that, you know, morning, afternoon into the game time? Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty scheduled. <laughs> you know, I usually, I usually wake up, I'll eat, I usually eat, uh, eat breakfast, uh, at the same time, eat lunch at the same time. I'll always get to the field early. You know, I'm pretty much sit there and wait for the other team to send their lineup over. And as soon as they send their lineup over uh, on a game day, you know, I'll go in there for however long it takes, 45 to an hour, uh, write up my scouting report based on their lineup uh, and who I'm facing that day. Uh, and then there's a little bit of leeway. I'll have my like, kind of a mid-afternoon, uh, either a protein shake or snack or whatever it may be. And then if it's a 7-10 game, I'm usually in the weight room at about 5.45, running through my uh, – like. My, just warming my body up, stretching, activating, doing all those things. And then I'll probably have about a 20-minute window between uh, when I finish that and when I have to go out uh, to be ready to pitch. And so that 20-minute window, I'll usually go and heat my back up, uh, usually sit down with our pitching coach and our catcher uh, and go over the, the scouting report that I've written up that they have, things that they want to do and they, that they've seen and things that I I've written down that I've seen you do that and then go, go, uh, lace them up and then go out and I'll just, uh, I've warmed up pretty good by that point. And so I'll usually, usually go out and stretch, stretch my lower body and upper body again, uh, and then play catch, uh, to really whatever I'm feeling like, uh, I need that day. A lot of times it's based on the weather uh, and what's going on. And then uh, I usually pretty much throw the same bullpen, uh, in between starts and in pregame about 25, 27 pitches, uh, both sides of the plate and then get ready to go. That's awesome. Um, what about uh, actually like in game, right? Do you, do you have like a, an actual process you use between pitches? You know, is there is there a certain like checklist that you go through regardless of outcome between every pitch? Um, it really just depends. You know, usually I've I've got ingrained in my mind like my scouting report that I've written up that I'm facing. So I, I think that things can change drastically pitch to pitch. You know, I still. Uh, I, I don't want to call it old school, but I'm still one of those guys. I, I like to see what guys are doing in the box, the swings they're taking. Do I think that they've kind of changed their approach based on uh, them facing me and kind of having an idea of what I'm doing? Uh, you, you know, I, I think things can change so much drastically pitch to pitch that you kind of got to be able to adjust on the fly. And a lot of times I'll, I'll have to step off the back, you know, and talk to myself and pitch about what I think I should do based on what, what I the scouting report says to this hitter and what I think is going on in his head, uh, and then you kind of just kind of roll from that. Absolutely, and you've you've also um, you know played for multiple organizations, right? So you came from the Braves, went to the Dodgers, um, so you threw to Gundal, you know, you threw to Barnes. You've and not, you're obviously in a new organization as well. Talk about building rapport with new catchers. Um, like Steve Cishet gave some really good insights in, in his interview on, on this, just about telling him exactly what you need and where to set up for different pitches. Um, is that something that you really go out of your way to, to, to kind of really work on when you first go to a new organization is getting on the same page with them? And, you know, what's kind of some of your feedback that you give them about you? How do, how do they best manage Alex Wood? No, absolutely. I think, I think it's huge. And I think the thing you'll see uh, now uh, as much as, as any time is – these, the catchers that are good, you know, the ones that 
uh, stay around and are playing every day, you know, most of them want to know what, what you like, what you like to do, when you like to do it. And so, you know, I, like when I got traded to the Reds, you know, Tucker Barnhart, our catcher, reached out to me immediately. Uh, we started speaking as soon as we got to spring, you know, our first bullpen, he's wanting to catch me and start to learn me. And, and I think that most guys, especially starters, you know, you have a you have kind of a basic blueprint uh, for yourself about what you like to do, where you like to throw each of your pitches. And then the rapport part, the other part of it is your catcher starting to learn when you like to do those things, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think just that helps the catchers for you to be like, OK, I like to go down and in, up and away back foot breakers, change ups away, whatever it may be and, and telling them those things. And then you go even further about the setup you like, you like the guy to go on one knee. Like I like a guy to go on one knee down and away, uh, the, the targets you like, and, you know, I, I think it's really critical. And I think it's something that the really good teams, you know, are, are they're, they're leaving no stone left unturned. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're doing yeah. those things because it does help propel your guys forward, whether you know it or not. Uh, you know, it was a big thing when I was in L.A., you know, like a lot of our relievers, you know, the targets they liked and when they were executing the best and when they weren't with certain guys, you know, it, it plays a big role. You know, and I think it's really, really important. Absolutely. All right. So we, we go to a lightning round towards the end of every um, interview. So these are like the quick hitters where you got to you gotta throw some whatever comes to your mind first at me. All right. So what advice would you give to a teenage Alex Wood? Oh, man, I. The advice I would probably give to a teenage Alex Wood is that, you know, you always as a competitor uh, at any sport, you know, you're always living in the moment. You know, you want to pitch through injuries. You want you want to try and always be there for your teammates, uh, compete at the highest level. You know, the moment that moment that you're in, whether it's a Tuesday high school baseball game or a Saturday or Sunday travel ball championship game, you know, you always wanted to lay it on the line, but kind of thinking of having a, a, a more long-term approach to things and re- realizing that you're fortunate and lucky to, to play the game that, that you love and that it's all, not always totally do or die. You know, you're not going to, your career is not going to be over if you don't pitch this, this travel ball weekend or, or whatever it may be. And, and I think just enjoying high school baseball, enjoying those travel games, enjoying college, you know, and really uh, also taking a, uh, a moment to just enjoy those things. Because once you get to professional baseball, it's a whole other game. It's still fun and you still get to compete, but it's your job. It's your career, you know, and the outside world still sees it as, as a game, which it is, but it's also how you're making money to live for your family and the rest of your life. And so it becomes more, a little bit more serious uh, and sometimes it can be not as fun as, you know, some of those high school games and some of those college games you play where a lot of guys you're surrounded with, you know, this is it for them, you know, and, and that's really some of the funnest baseball I've ever, I've ever played was, you know, those high school state championships or those college games against your arch rival school, you know, things like that. That's awesome. Um, what about a, a college Alex Wood? Oh man, that's tough. Uh, you know, I, I think that like one of the b- best decisions that I ever made in, in college for myself was I, my first year, my sophomore year, when I came back and had my first full college season, I threw a hundred innings, you know, I, I got invited to go play in the Cape, super excited about that for that experience. But we get done with the season and I was just absolutely torched, you know, I threw a hundred innings. Uh, and so the decision I made for myself was that I was going to not go to the Cape. I was going to stay. Uh, in Athens and work out all summer and kind of iron some things out mechanically that I wanted to. Uh, and and I, I think just 
if you want to go play professional baseball, if you're in a, in college and your goal is to play professional baseball, it's just taking accountability of yourself uh, and not not expecting someone else to come and make you be the player you think you can be. It's having accountability always and starting to really learn yourself and know what drives you and what you think is going to make you become the player that you want to be to get you to the next level. And just kind of thinking about those things. I mean, I feel like there's so many guys now you go to, you go to college, you expect to play every day. It's not going to happen a lot of times. Uh, you're expecting these college coaches to turn you into something that you want to be, but either you don't have the skills to get there or you don't have the drive or capacity yourself to kind of help propel you forward. And just, I think the biggest thing is accountability and starting to learn yourself uh, and realizing that you're your own best coach. Like it's, that's never going to change. Like you're like, there's, I feel like there's far fewer guys that have had someone from a pitching or a hitting or a fielding standpoint, that's made such dramatic impact on their career that they become this star player, you know, yeah. These, these guys you see that are superstars, they've had guys that have played key roles in their development, no question. But also, at the end of the day, those guys know themselves. They know how to get themselves better. And I think that's just the biggest thing. If I was in college, I would just get that in my brain. Like, you're your best own best coach, truly. That's awesome. And this is normally where I'd ask you to give advice to minor league Alex Wood, except you're only in the minor leagues for like two weeks. So it's not a, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a valid question. Um, all right, here's one. I, I think I know I'm going to know your answer, but we've gotten different answers from different guys who have been on. What's more important, stuff or command? <laughs> That's a tough question. <laughs> I know. It's very, it's very philosophical. You know, I'll, I'll, I don't know how I should answer this. I, I would probably say uh, – you, I mean, if you're in the big leagues, you you have to have decent stuff. I mean, there's no yeah. there's no question about it. You like there's there's no one in the big leagues that that's been there for a decent chunk of time that doesn't have good stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, especially, I mean, if you're a starter and you want to be a starter for a long time, I mean, you have to have both. Like like you you have yeah. to, you have to be able to command the baseball to some extent. Obviously the bigger stuff you that you have, you know, you don't have to command it quite as much, but I mean, look, look at the Scherzers, look at the Kershaw's, look at the Kluber. I mean, I mean, you, you name it. Those guys are around the zone all the time. Their stuff is great, but they also command it. And that's what makes them the best in the, in the game, in the world. You know, you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, I don't know if that fully answers it. Cause I'm saying a little bit of both, <laughs> a little bit of both, but yeah. That's fair. I, I remember the first time I asked Corey Kluber it, and he, I said, you know, what's more important? He's like, well, I think it's stuff, but when I have command of it, that's when I know I can be really good that day, you know? So, yeah. And, um, I, and I think that from a starter to a reliever perspective, I mean, the way things yeah. are going now, I, I feel like I talk about it a lot is with these relievers, you know, you're seeing bigger stuff out of, got, out of teams' bullpens than you've ever seen in any year of major league history. You, you know what I mean? And a lot of those guys don't have great command, but they do one thing really well. They throw really hard, have a high spin rate, have an elite elite slider, a breaking ball, and they're using those things all the time. And, you know, I think that I don't know how sustainable it is for guys' careers, you know, mm-hmm. when you have those that big-time stuff because you're not always going to have that big-time stuff. It's not going to stay that way. It's not going to be like mm-hmm. J- Justin Verlander that's 38 and throwing 95 with – elite everything you, you know what i mean that just yeah. doesn't happen like that for 99 percent of the guys so uh you know i think it's the further you go along you know with how big time stuff guys are having especially out of the pen you know you forget they're not learning how to pitch and so 
yeah, yeah. At some point, you have to learn how to pitch because your stuff's not always going to be there. And I feel like that's how you last with with your command and with uh, learning how to actually attack guys and having a game plan and things like that. Absolutely. All right. Favorite teammate of all time and why? Oh my gosh, man. How do I answer that? You can answer more than one if you need to. I guess it depends on the mood I'm in, you know, (laughs) probably, probably the the funniest teammate that I've ever had probably Kike Hernandez, the Dodgers. He is an absolute clown all the time, but he's also works his tail off and is an unbelievable player. Uh, my hardest working teammate, Clayton Kershaw. It's hard to mm-hmm. hard to find anybody that really just relentlessly goes as hard as he can, as as much and for as long as he's done it. Uh, I've been lucky. My best friend from college, Kyle Farmer. You know, it's hard not to say yep. he's one of my favorite teammates. You know, he's my best friend. Was groomsman in my wedding. You know, I've been fortunate to be in LA with him and, and Cincinnati now, and, but I've had so many good teammates, you know, I've been lucky to be yeah. on, be on a lot of good teams. And I, I think that the, the common denominator and any team you're ever on, that's, that's worth a damn, uh, is usually the clubhouse is pretty good. You usually have a lot of great guys that have a lot of the same goals and aspirations as you. And, and so I've been really fortunate from that aspect. That's awesome. What pictures do you like to watch and, and what, why do you watch them? Well, I'll start with the one picture that I hate to watch. Like, I was scrolling through Facebook like two or three weeks ago when uh, Jordan Hicks's 102 mile an hour get me over <laughs> get me get me over sinker, and I like, I can't even watch it, man. I just I'm like I'm like this is just ridiculous. Like if I if I could do that, that'd be crazy. But I mean, there's so many guys that I that I love to watch. Um, God, where do I start? You know, I mean, in LA, I love Rich watching Rich Walker Bueller's probably my favorite one of my favorite pitchers right now. I mean, he's just so special. Uh, his stuff. Um, you know, I love Kluber. I love Scherzer. Um, I don't know. It's hard to choose one favorite. Um, but obviously Max's competitiveness is one of my favorites. I mean, it's crazy to watch how serious and competitive he is and just talking when I've had the chance to talk to him, uh, one-on-one. I mean, he's just like that all the time. It feels like, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, but those are a few, a few of the guys that 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 I really enjoy watching. Absolutely. All right. So you, uh, you obviously had a, a kind of a progressive high school experience in terms of strength, conditioning, pitching. You went to University of Georgia, went to the Braves, went to the Dodgers, now with the Reds. So you've been exposed to a lot of different, uh, you know, coaches. What are some of the, the big, you know, things that you've noticed in the coaches that have been most impactful for you? Um, what qualities they have? And then, you know, uh, on the flip side, what are some of the things that maybe haven't worked as well? You know, it may have been impediments to your development and people you've interacted with over the years. I think, uh, I mean, it started for me in high school. I played played for two different high school coaches, two of the best in North Carolina, Danny Hignite and Hal Bagwell. Um, and just the, I think the first thing is accountability. You know, you like we, every day, whether we were at the field or we were conditioning or, or lifting, you know, you had a plan laid out every day. This is what you're doing. We're going to do it to the best of our ability. And they hold you accountable for the, for those things. Uh, Just having that, learning that responsibility for if you want to do this and you want to be really good, having that accountability for yourself and for your teammates. Uh, You know, I personally, I've always liked a little bit more of the old school. Like, like I don't mind being cussed out. Like if I deserve to be cussed out or yelled at or pushed uh, a little bit farther than some normal coaches would do it. I respond well to that. You know, I, I've, I've always enjoyed that aspect, you know, nowadays, you know, it feels like you hear all these stories about these old school hard nosed coaches that have been good for a long time, getting in trouble with 
kids' moms and dads like complaining for saying a curse word or whatever it may be. And I think there's more, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat, but uh, I also think that that is one of the biggest things for me. You know, and then moving into college, you know, I think that un- like whether a coach makes it clear to you that he cares about you mm-hmm. or not, uh, usually got guys can see straight through a coach that doesn't care. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you truly see and know in your heart that your coach, your strength coach, your first base coach, your pitching coach, that they, they really do care about you, that there's no egos involved. It's just, I'm here for you to help you get better, to help you achieve your dream or to help you sustain your dream or whatever, whatever that may be. I, I feel like overall, that's the biggest thing uh, that there is to know that this coach knows what he's doing. And he also cares about you as a person and as a man uh, to help you evolve into the player and person that you want to be. You know, and I feel like that's probably the biggest thing for me. That's a clutch answer. And that, that's actually a good place to wrap it up. Great parting words. Um, so folks can find you on Twitter and Instagram. It's at awood 45. Um, really appreciate you taking the time and, and doing this. We're excited to see you do your thing in Cincinnati too. Yep. Thanks for having me, Eric. Thanks a lot, Alex. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.